Good morning. Welcome again to our online service this morning. Thank you for joining us. Today, we're beginning the holiday season before the holiday season. Uh, our series, Advent for Dummies, which looks a lot like our series, Lent for Dummies, last year. Uh, this is a three-week series that we're going to do, which will take us up to the first Sunday of Advent. Um, we want to uh, talk a little bit about what Advent is, why it has uh, found its place in the life of the church, what is the history of it, and uh, what can it teach us, and what is its purpose in preparing us uh, for the season of celebrating the Nativity of Jesus Christ. So thanks again for being with us. This is message one, a prophet like Moses. I'm going to beginning, uh, begin this morning reading from Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 18. Uh, I'm going to begin reading at verse 15. So if you have your Bibles with you, or if you have your Version Bible app, I would encourage you to follow along. I'm reading, just if you're interested, from the English Standard Version. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, Moses says, from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, uh, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true... That is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Here ends the reading of God's holy and perfect word. May he add his blessings and his understanding to it. Amen. Well, the word Advent literally means the arrival. That's our first point this morning. The word Advent means the arrival. You know, it's actually a, a pretty unique holiday in the life and history of the church. You know, if you think about things, about what we do, how we act, how we're influenced, most of the time we're influenced by our context. We know this. We tell our children, be careful who you pick for your friends. Or we might say, well, of course they think that. They live in that particular state or drive that particular vehicle. We're influenced by our context, whether it's uh, uh, something we recognize or perceive or if it's subtle. We either react strongly or negatively to things in our experiences based on the emotions and the feelings we have toward certain areas or certain groups or individuals. Well, the same was true in the church. For about the first 300 years of the existence of the church, the church really reacted very negatively uh, to some social trends that today we probably laugh about. For example, in the waning years of the great Roman Republic, or the Roman Empire, after the Goths and the Visigoths had influenced Rome, uh, just prior to the fall of the city of Rome, new clothing styles began to emerge. 
the Roman toga, you know, the, the, the white robe, if you will, uh, was being replaced by a new item or a new apparel called, are you ready? Pants. Pants, just like I'm wearing today. Early Christians in the first 300 years detested pants, hated them. Well, one of the reasons was first because they were the preferred dress of pagans, and they didn't want to look like pagans. And second, and this is where it gets really fascinating, pants were developed, they were invented, if you will, to be used by horsemen to provide better protection when they were uh, mounted on a horse and make it easier to fight and kill on the battlefield. The pants that we're wearing were invented so that we could kill other people easier. Well, as the years went by, Christians said those kinds of clothes are off limits to our brothers and sisters. But as time happens, many Christians begin to adopt pants. By matter of fact, uh, uh, even pastors and clergy and deacons and elders begin to wear pants as well. And that became a real rift in the church, as a matter of fact. Some of the old-fashioned uh, pastors and preachers of the time said, we ought not be dressing like that. We should wear the old-fashioned uh, apparel, the old-fashioned clothes that, that speak of modesty and peace. White robes. <laughs> that was, of course, the preferred dress of the Prince of Peace, Jesus himself. There were some other traditions that we accept as commonplace today that in the first couple of hundred years would have been a big no-no for Christians. Things like wedding rings, because they were viewed as pagans. Celebrating birthdays was completely rejected for centuries by Christians. Why? Well, because these were the customs that were associated with the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire were a people who worshipped false gods and had from time to time persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. So, you know, when some critics say that the early Christians would never have celebrated the birthday of Jesus, they're actually correct. They wouldn't have. You'll probably hear some Christians or critics talk about how Christmas is really a pagan celebration that was adopted by Christianity. And much of that, that they say, is just simply not historically true. It's been things that were made up decades after Christianity had become uh, the official faith of the Roman Empire. And most of those things were developed in an effort to discredit Christianity, to inhibit the ability of Christians uh, to win believers to the faith. Well, with all that said, we do see Christians celebrating sort of Christ's birth. Pretty early, actually. Sometime in the mid-200s. So that's not that far off. But they did it in January, not December. And it was predominantly in North Africa, not the Roman Empire proper. But they really weren't celebrating Jesus' birthday. Well, not really. What they were celebrating was the incarnation, or the moment when God clothed himself and flesh and became human. That is, that was the moment that the revelation of Jesus as the Son of God and God the Son took place. It wouldn't be until the year 336 that Christians throughout the Roman Empire began celebrating Christ's birth and doing it in December. Again, even that celebration wasn't so much about the birth, per se, of Jesus, 
but it was about the incarnation of God, that God had become flesh or God had arrived to redeem humanity, an arrival that was promised throughout the Old Testament, especially the writings of the prophets. So, point two, the holiday was really the coming of God in Christ, or the first arrival of God in Christ, or Advent, which means to arrive. And, therefore, the focus is not only in celebrating the first Advent, when God became flesh and the person of Jesus Christ, but it was intended also to ensure that you and I were prepared for something very important in the Christian faith, and that is his second advent, or his second arrival, his coming again. So for century, Christmas, and we'll probably talk more about what that word means as well in the coming weeks, was really about you and me being prepared for the coming, the second coming of Jesus Christ as we celebrate the first coming of God who clothed himself in flesh. Well, because this was about Christ's return, not necessarily about his birth, it became known as a penitential season. That is a season of preparation, of prayer, of fasting, of self-reflection and self-discipline. A lot like Lent before Easter, but just a shorter set of time. So Advent is essentially a time to prepare ourselves for Christ's return. Now, I know it's really hard to fit a little town of Bethlehem or Hark the Herald Angels Sing into that theme, isn't it? But it is the focus of Advent. And for that matter, it is a key theme even in the Christmas season. Advent, which is the four Sundays prior to Christmas, and the Christmas season. And notice I've been saying the Christmas season, not Christmas Day. Because in the history of the church, Christmas isn't just a day. It's actually 12 days. And I know you've heard the song, but the 12 days of Christmas isn't 12 days before December 25th. The 12 days of Christmas is the Christmas season, which begins December 25th and ends January 5th, January 6th being the day of Epiphany, or the celebration of the arrival of the Magi. This connection between Advent and the Christmas season was a connection of alternating time between fasting and prayer, followed by a time of feasting and celebration. Now, I've been a pastor for over 25 years, an ordained pastor for over 25 years, three years prior to that as a licensed pastor. And I have tried to invite the churches I have served to try to live into the discipline of preparation up to December 25th, followed by the 12 days of celebration. But like those Christians who were fighting the new styles of clothes, of pants, and of wedding bands back in those first couple of hundred years, just as they were unsuccessful, I have been unsuccessful too. I've tried to wait as long as possible to start singing Christmas carols, and it has always invited complaints. And I've always wanted to continue the Christmas carols into January, and people would just uh, offer me displays of boredom as they sat uh, in the congregation, wondering why we were still celebrating 
the songs of a season that should be over in their mind and in the mind of the culture. My own family, our family, has held off on putting up the Christmas tree until after the third Sunday of Advent, and it was never, ever decorated before Christmas Eve. As a matter of fact, our tree has always been decorated by St. Nicholas on Christmas Eve after our children went to bed and we would wake up on Christmas Day to a decorated tree. None of our lights were lit outside until very close to Christmas Eve, and they stayed lit until January 6th, well after our neighbors had taken all of theirs down and would ask us, why hadn't we done the same? And when I tried to explain to them the ancient practices and celebrations of Advent and Christmas, they just shake their head in confusion at me, shrug and walk away. Listen, culture is an incredibly tough opponent, even for this stubborn pastor. And as a culture, and as culture has demanded that Christmas lights be up no later than the day after Thanksgiving, as carols begin to invite a festive spirit nowadays, soon after Halloween, the focus on Christ's return, the, the, the second coming, the second Advent, the season of Advent, in many cases has all but faded from most churches' memory throughout the world. Well, like Rocky Balboa struggling against the ropes to get back up after a vicious volley of blows to the head, sometimes I feel a lot like that when I look for other ways to lift up Jesus near this season, since it's almost impossible during the actual season itself. And thanks to our wonderful staff here, our imaginative and talented thinkers on staff, especially in our communications department, we bring you the three weeks of Advent, an Advent for dummies, to gently remind ourselves that the Jesus we celebrate is more than just some sort of humble, innocent baby wrapped in swaddling clothes laying in a manger, but He is the fulfillment of all of Scripture. He is the incarnation of God, the actual embodiment of what was declared about Him because the Bible declares that the Messiah, point three, Jesus the Messiah, fulfills all three offices God used during the Old Testament to accomplish His will. The office, the office of prophet, the office of priest, and the office of king. Now in Jesus, all three of them, and Jesus is, as the Bible declares, a prophet like Moses, a priest like Melchizedek, and a king like David. Got all the biblical references for you as we go through this series. This is how the Bible speaks about Jesus, a way that so many, certainly in the world and even in the church, have never heard of. Jesus is our prophet, our priest, and our king. Today we read Deuteronomy 18, and as we read this, I couldn't help uh, but think about the history of how God has been working to redeem his people. As a matter of fact, if you followed along in your Bibles with me, the heading of this section was a new prophet like Moses. You see, as God sought to redeem his people throughout the entire, as recorded throughout the entirety of Scripture, God spoke to his people in various ways. Now, in Hebrews 1, chapter 1, the writer of Hebrews reminds us, he says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the 
prophets. Now, when we Christians talk about how God communicates with us, we refer to two primary vehicles through which we know God and God's will. The first is natural revelation. That is in nature. That is in the world. Those things that every human being can see and recognize, things that are right and things that are wrong, things that are good and things that are evil. Most every religion in the world views murder as evil, as well they should. And they didn't need the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 to know these things because God has revealed it to us. God has revealed the evil of murder in our own human conscience. But natural revelation can only give us so much. It can only reveal to us that there is a grand designer, a great architect of the universe, as Paul argues in the book of Romans. But aspects of his divine will, who exactly he is, and how he has exactly redeemed humanity, well, we need another kind of revelation for that. And that revelation is what we term special revelation. And for us, as Christians, that special revelation is through Scripture. We know the revelation of God through Scripture. But what about those Hebrews in the Old Testament before they had the Bible? Well, for them, they knew God's will through the three offices that God established. The office of prophet, the office of priest, and the office of king. And even though each of those offices are vitally important, it can be well argued that God's preferred means was through his prophets, or at least the means that was used the most. And among those Old Testament prophets that we read about, Moses is the most significant. Moses was God's chosen mouthpiece. He was a mediator between God and the people. See the correlations? It was through Moses that God orchestrated the deliverance of his people out of bondage in Egypt. The significance of Moses and God's work of redeeming his people and bringing them to the promised land and setting them up as a nation, preparing the way for the coming of the Messiah, cannot be overstated. And the sights and the sounds of the entire Exodus have illuminated and echoed down throughout the centuries as the greatest analogy of our own redemption from bondage and sin. The means that the primary role of Moses in Revelation was to set the stage for Jesus Christ, the one who surpasses and eclipses Moses himself. Which brings me to my fourth point. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise of the prophet like Moses. After the exodus from Egypt, Moses spoke to the people of Israel, and he told them that they should look for another prophet to come, who, like him, would redeem God's people from bondage and captivity. And in Deuteronomy 18.15, that was read to you this morning, today, Moses declares, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers, it is to him you shall listen. Now, Moses not only reveals the coming of this future prophet, but he also commands Israel to listen to him. 
Several millennia later, on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus takes his disciples, Peter, James, and John, up onto the Mount, he is transfigured with a glowing white and appears there also with Moses and Elijah. Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus' face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. That's all in Matthew chapter 17, beginning in verse 2. And then God the Father spoke out of the cloud, declaring this, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. That was in verse 5. And with these words, which echo the words of Moses, God unequivocally declared that the prophecy of Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, had been fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter, one of the witnesses to the transfiguration, also confirmed that Jesus fulfilled Moses' prophecy in Deuteronomy 18, 15. On Pentecost, in the book of Acts, in his famous spirit-empowered sermon, Peter declares, Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers, you shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. If you're writing these down, just to go back and check these, that's great. That's Acts 3, 19 through 23. Jesus is the prophet like Moses. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. And although Jesus is like Moses in many ways, he's also greater than Moses that's what the Bible teaches write this down too. Hebrews chapter 3 verses 1 through 6 therefore holy brothers you who share in a heavenly calling consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession who was faithful to him who appointed him just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. The first advent of Jesus led his people through an exodus out of eternal bondage to sin and death. This is why Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6 declares that Jesus is the mediator of the new and better covenant. He is God's final and definitive word to his people. Look with me at Hebrews 1, verse 2 again. In these last days, the writer pens, He, that is God, has spoken to us by His Son. He is coming again. 
His second advent. And that is what Advent seeks to remind us. The final prophet, Jesus Christ, has told us that He is coming again. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ, John says in his Gospel, chapter 1, verse 17. And then, as Revelation, chapter 22, verse 12, summarizes, we read, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me, to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And verse 17, the spirit of the bride says, come, Advent. And let the one who hears say, come, Advent. And let the one who is thirsty, come, Advent. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Will you receive that water today paid for and given to us by Jesus Christ so that when He does come, you will stand in His grace, you will stand in His mercy, and because of His obedience, we will be justified. Will you say yes to this question? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and do you accept Him as Lord and Savior of your life? If you've answered yes to that question, will you click on the button if you're on our online.church platform? If you're on some of our other platforms, YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this, send us an email at office at southsuburban.com that we can celebrate with you. That when Christ comes, when Christ's advent, His second coming, is upon us, we can celebrate together that because of the Lamb, we have the hope and joy of eternal life. Will you pray with me? Thank you, merciful God, for sending us, for allowing Jesus to be the advent of you in the flesh, of saving us and redeeming us, and rescuing us from our captivity to sin and darkness. As we go through this series, understanding more of what your word speaks to us about Jesus and about his coming, may our focus and our celebration of the joyous and festive season to come be more meaningful, more holy, in Jesus' name. Amen.